We're going to bring Cyrus up to read. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1. Um, we'll be starting in verse uh, 15 and working our way to chapter 2, verse 10. So as, you, as we do each and every week, will you guys please stand to honor God's Word? God's Word for God's people. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other Pua, when you, see a, when you serve as a midwife of the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with them, God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took from a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds of the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity and the gift of grace that we have to pray to you. Lord, in Philippians it says that you are at hand. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, we are to not to be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make our requests be made known to you. So Lord, we, we lift up certain requests. First and foremost, we, we pray for the, the firemen and the, those that are fighting the fires in, in Colorado and really across the country. Lord, keep them safe. Lord, may we give them grace to contain these fires quickly. Lord, we pray for uh, the teachers and the kids going back to school and everything that surrounds that. Lord, I pray that we, that we wouldn't be a people that walk in fear and, and are anxious because of COVID, but that we would put our hope and faith and trust in you, that we would look at the data and see that the, the, the curve has been flattened. The hospitals are not overwhelmed. You have moved. You have answered prayers earlier when it was at its peak. And so, Lord, I just pray that our teachers, that our kids, the parents, those that will be homeschooling them, uh, 
the, the lives that have been upside, uh, up, uh, led upside down because of this, Lord, will you just would you just give them peace first and foremost in their heart? Take away their anxiousness and give them peace and give them the abilities and, and the people around them to, to walk them through this next school year. Lord, we also pray as we look at across our country of the, the riots, the destruction that's going on in our cities, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, bring this to an end. Bring this to an end. Lord, as we look, we, we, we look to government, we look to, to police, we look to all these different human institutions, and, and they're doing their best as they can, but we know that ultimately they will never be able to squash out the wickedness and the evil that is rampant in this world. And that's why the book of Exodus is so crucial, and why you have us in it this morning. Because it tells us of redemption, it tells us of deliverance, from bondage of sin. And Lord, it's only found, Exodus points us to Jesus, our only hope, the one who can deal with all the issues and all the angst and all the sin in our world so that we can have joy and peace, not only for now, but for all eternity. So Lord, hear our prayer. We know you are at hand. And so let's walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Well, like I said, Rich kicked us off last week in the great book of Exodus, and he did a great job laying the foundation until in which we are going to build on. He, he pointed out that Exodus is an epic story, is an epic story in the Bible. And I would say it's probably in the, in the second best story. Obviously, the life and death and resurrection of Christ is numero uno, the greatest story in the Bible. And then you got Genesis and Exodus that I think would be 2A. I think those two would be next in there. And if I was to label this series in keeping with the epic movie theme, as Rich correctly pointed out about some of my favorite movies, it would carry a Star Wars theme. And I would call it A New Hope. A New Hope. Because at the heartbeat of Exodus is redemption is deliverance for the nation of Israel. But not only the nation of Israel, it points us to the church. It is a a story about redemption, our redemption. Those are the church that has been grafted into the nation of Israel. It's the story of redemption for the people of God. And because this story of redemption, of deliverance, of salvation, uh, it is a continuation of where we were uh, about a year ago in the book of Genesis. The story continues, as Rich pointed out, with that word and. There's a continuation from Genesis and the beginnings of creation and this new family to carry it on. And the theme of Genesis was what? The main theme that we traced was who is the serpent crusher? Who is the one that's going to redeem humanity from sin back in Genesis 3.15? And Exodus gives us and helps connect the dots on who that serpent crusher is. Now us on the other side of the cross, we look back through the cross, through the gospel of Jesus, and we know that the serpent crusher was Jesus himself. But what Exodus does, it helps us again, it connects the dots from the the beginnings of redemption seen here in Genesis 3.15 and then elaborated on a little bit more in Exodus, and it points us to Jesus. Let me show you how this book, as we go through it, will point us to Jesus. First, we are going to be introduced to the priesthood. 
the, the Levites, Aaron, the high priest. And we know that's going to point us to Jesus, as Hebrews says, is our great high priest, is the great high priest. Uh, Moses, we're going to be introduced to Moses here. And one of the titles that Moses had was he was a prophet. And he says with his own words in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that he's a prophet, but there's going to be one day, one that's going to come that will be greater than him. And that points us to Jesus. We're going to be introduced as Moses. Now he's the prophet, but he's also the mediator between God's people and God. He stands in the gap. And again, that points us to Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where he said there is one God and one mediator. Who is that? The man, Christ Jesus. And then we see we're going to be introduced to this sacrificial system and how to deal with sin. And in particular, we're going to be introduced to the Passover lamb. And we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. As it says in John 1, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming forth, he says what? Behold the lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. So we see that in the beginnings of Exodus, this is all connecting the dots to who this serpent crusher is, who this deliverer is, who this redeemer is. And it points us to Jesus. Therefore, this is an epic story about redemption. It's a story about a new hope. A new hope that is only found in Jesus. You see, every one of us in here, and everyone that's been born has a creation story, has a Genesis story. We've all been born physically. But if we want to know Jesus, if we want to be redeemed, if we want to be set free from our sin and bondage, if we want to be saved, then every person must also have an Exodus story. An Exodus story, a story of deliverance, a story of redemption, a story that ties your life and my life to the Redeemer, and that is Jesus Christ. And we get there through the gospel, through repentance of our sin, and believing and embracing by faith what Jesus Christ has done for us. That He lived the perfect life in our place, a life that we were called to live, but we, we didn't because we sinned. He died on the cross to make payment for that sin, a, a death that we should have died, and then He rose again. And this is the only way that we receive this redemption is through the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So everyone has a Genesis story, but if you want to be free, you must have an Exodus story. And that begins with Jesus. Therefore, again, to understand the book of Exodus, it's going to give us a fuller understanding. It's going to help us grasp the gospel and who Jesus is that much more because this is the beginning of redemption. And so if we want to understand redemption, we must understand what's happening in the book of Exodus. And we see this morning an epic tale of four Hebrew women who by faith fear God and make an incredible deposit to our redemption. If it wasn't for these four women fearing God and walking by faith, then there would be no Moses. And so it's a story that begins with God's people that have a faith that fears the Lord. So let's look at this. First, faith in the face of evil. That's the first point. Faith in the face of evil. Exodus 1, 15 through 22. Look at verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra, the other named Pua, 
When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see there on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. These are incredible, wicked words, a wicked command from this king. And oh, how the times have changed for the nation of Israel, right? As we remember back with how Genesis ended, um, the Israelites, the Hebrews, actually had the second highest man in the world in control named Joseph. As Rich rightly pointed out, verse 8 takes this turn in chapter 1 that there's hundreds of years that pass. Some, depending on the timeline you believe, it's 350 to 400 years later. So Egypt has forgotten about the story of Joseph and how he saved that country. And we might think about like, well, how is that possible? How can you forget such a story? And I would just submit to you, let's just look at our own history. We have people in the United States and really in the history of the world that have forgotten, and we've only been around, what, 244 years or so, that have forgotten how America was created. We have people that have forgotten and are pubbing Marxism like that's some new and great thing. We have forgotten history. So this is not anything new just to them. This new king, what he sees is he sees that this other nation, this, these Hebrews are being fruitful and multiplying. In chapter 1, we see in verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20, how God is, is fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant and helping his people be fruitful and multiply. Even under persecution, he is multiplying them. And the king of Egypt sees this. And I love what it says in Exodus 1-7. It says this, But the people of Israel, this, just listen to the adjectives, the words, the description of what was happening, how this is just an epic. The people of Israel were fruitful. They were increasing their numbers greatly. They multiplied. They grew exceedingly so strong that what? The land was filled with them. So here's this new king. He just looks out over the landscape of Egypt, and the Hebrews are like dandelions, man. He just sees them popping up all over the place, and he can't do anything about it. And he wants to eradicate them because he thinks that if they raise up, his kingdom will be threatened. In the beginning, we see that in Exodus chapter 1, that there's a the family of Jacob of 70 came and met with Joseph, who already had five in there. So there's 75 total Hebrews in the beginning of Exodus chapter 1. And now hundreds of years later, there's an estimated now that there's 1.5 to 2 million Hebrews in Egypt right now. And so the king rightly sees all these Hebrews. In Exodus 12, 37, it says this, And the people of Israel joined, journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, and about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. So that's where they get that number of 1.5 to 2 million. There were 600,000 men, not counting the women and the children. So the Lord definitely blessed the nation Israel. He, he fulfilled and was fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. Therefore, fear grips this king's heart when he looks out, and he gives this insidious command to the midwives. Think of these midwives as like the head nurses of the birthing unit of the nation Israel for the Hebrews, Shipra and Pua. And this was a secret command. He told it only to them. He said in verse 16, when you serve the midwives of the Hebrews and the women see them on the birthstool, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. It's, it's strictly given secretly to these women. This should remind you of another edict from a king trying to save his kingdom who gives a very similar command. You guys remember what that is? It's in Matthew chapter 2 where Herod does this upon hearing of the birth of Christ. Again, another pointing to Jesus from the life of Moses. 
In verse 17, we see what the midwives' actions were, how they responded to this diabolical command. But the midwives, what? Feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male child live. These are some of the most profound and, 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 and joyous words in all the Bible. And what we see here is a bold step of faith from these single women. These Hebrew women, they disobeyed the commands of the earthly king because they feared and had a greater respect and their lives followed the heavenly king and they understood the commands of the heavenly king that this would be an act of disobedience and sin against him if they would have followed through with this murder. And they understood what the consequences probably were going to be. They probably understood that they, as soon as they said, no, we're not going to do this, or, or their actions were, they didn't do this, that they were signing their death certificate. That the new king would be really ticked off at them and, and have them eliminated. But they didn't care. They feared the Lord, the Lord, the heavenly Lord, more than the earthly Lord. And they lived, they lived their life, and they, they lived by a higher law, and served and feared a higher purpose and a higher king. They, they, they knew what their heavenly father commanded way back in Genesis that was passed down to them in the faith. They knew what Genesis 9, 6 said. Whoever sheds the blood of men, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his image. They understand the, the sanctity of human life. They understood that every baby was created and shaped and molded in the womb by God himself. And that life was sacred. That's what caused them to follow them. Therefore, there was no way they were going to follow through with this command and go against the heart and the command of their heavenly king. Their fear of God led them by faith not to engage in this atrocity. And now, we might look at this story and be like, wow, man, those people back then were so archaic, man. Man, that, was a, that must have been a brutal time to live in that that. How can anyone think like some king would make this command? And really, we, we know that this infanticide, this genocide still happens today in the 20th and the 21st century. It's happened in countries such as China, India, Africa, but not just across the pond. It's happening here in the U.S. of A. It happens here, both in New York and Virginia, have some of the most wicked third trimester abortion laws that allows doctors to, to kill the baby even as they're being born in the birth canal. This would be what, kind of similar of what's going on here. There's laws that allow that. And in New York in particular, the law also revokes any required medical care for the babies who are born alive after a botched abortion. Just think about that. That's happening now in our country. That should grip your heart. You see, as Christians, followers of Christ, we, we should have the same heart as Shipra and Pua. That, that we fear our Heavenly Father and His commands more so than the earthly commands and laws here in the United States of America. We are a people that believe in the sanctity of human life. And as we said, that every baby in the womb is a gift of God. And we cannot stand by idle. We have to lift our voices, our actions. And by God's grace, we still live in a country where we can exercise a vote. And we need to be actively involved 
and stopping this wickedness in our own country. And let me just tell you, this is, this is why I love pastoring the crossing. This is why I love we go through books of the Bible when topics like this come up that we don't shy away from. Some churches will never touch this. But we, because we fear God, we preach through the book of the Bible, and what we see here is, is God's people stand against infanticide and genocide, and we will do the same. And that's why I love this, because you are a people. You, we, we are a church that does this. Not only do we proclaim it from God's Word and individually in our own lives, but we live it out. Let me just give you some instances on how we do that here at the crossing. One, we, we give our money to the Alpha Center here in town to help people with um, going through pregnancies, to help young moms who have a decision to make to have the child or not to have the child. We support them. Uh, we have a, a member, and uh, Yeji Hoffman back there, who started a, her own ministry called Bloom to help with these young women, to help be a resource to these women and to young women that have babies who are in need. We have fostered several, several babies here, kids here. I wish the Eastons are here. They're our latest. They have a little, a little meth baby that they're fostering right now. Little Josiah, little Jojo. We, we, we've had a culture of adoption here at the crossing. We have also seen babies saved on their way to be aborted. We have a picture. This one. This is little Danny. <clears throat> Matt Whitney was out sharing the, the love and the grace and the mercy of the gospel at Planned Parenthood. Came in contact with her mom going to abort this little child. But God gripped her heart. God used Matt Whitney. And for the past two years, the Whitneys and us, the Santinis, have been walking through life with this family, with this little girl. She was saved because of Matt's fear of the Lord. We, we, we live this out here at the crossing. And I am so glad and so honored to be called your pastor. If you want to help out with Rita, you know, Rita and Jess, you know, talk to Jess about helping out this family. But again, the fear of the Lord and His commands, His Word demands us to be a voice, demands us to take action, just like Shipra and Pua. Well, what we see is really a fruit in these ladies' lives of Proverbs 9, what Cole preached on a number of weeks ago, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because they feared the Lord. They were given wisdom. They were given a conviction. They were given courage to act and obey the commands of their heavenly king. And we also see that not only did they act, but this is the first instance in the Bible of worry, of, of civil disobedience, of God's people not following after the commands of the earthly king, the earthly government. And we know in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter that we are to submit to the government. 
And, and, and we are to follow the obeys and the rules and the lands that they bring forth. But there are times, and Scripture points out several, where there are times for the people of God not to follow the earthly commands because they come in conflict with the heavenly commands. A general rule of thumb on how to think about this when we think about, well, how do you know when to, to, to rebel or not to rebel? How do you know when to commit civil disobedience or not? Well, the general rule is this. When a government or authorities come out with the commands and commands what God forbids. When a government comes out and commands what God forbids, such as here in Exodus chapter 1, when the government commands you to kill all the male child, we do not follow that law. And the second is like this, whatever the, God, whatever the government or uh, the authorities above us uh, forbid what God commands. We see this happen with the apostles in Acts chapter 4 and 5. They were commanded not to proclaim the gospel, not to share the gospel, to stay quiet. And Peter and them says, what should we, should we, um, we must obey God rather than man. So those are the, those are the guiding principles that help us focus on if we commit civil disobedience or not. And this is a really real, this is really real to us now. To, to, to where we find ourselves in our context today. By God's grace, we don't have to, to, to make a massive decision right now in Larimer County. But if you live in California, if you live in Nevada, this is a very real. Churches have to make these decisions. Are they going to follow the earthly kings or are they going to follow after the heavenly commands? And there's a wrestling that goes on here. And so this could be a real reality for us in the future here in the United States of America. I know it's hard to believe, but it could be true. And so what, what do we do? How do we, how do we approach this? First, we fear the Lord. We fear the Lord and we ask for His wisdom. We ask for His guidance. And so we pray. And I would ask you to pray for your pastors, to pray for us, to pray for the leaders of this church, because we're behind the scenes. We're watching everything that's going on, and we're trying to be complicit and obey the government right now. But if it ever comes to a point where they command us to do something against the will of our Heavenly Father, then we're going to have to make a decision. So we need you guys to be praying for us as we kind of look at the, the culture and disseminate through all this information. And thirdly, we look at the examples in Scripture, and they give us a clear guideline. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, these things were written, these examples were given to us so that we might be instructed. Well, the midwives show their incredible act of faith and courage fueled by, again, their fear of the Lord, and it doesn't go as expected, does it? Look at verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male child live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. That's a little slight on the Egyptian women there. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives can come to them. Now, you know, this has been a controversial text, man. Did the midwives lie, you know? Uh, is this morally correct? And it's like, well, maybe. We don't get the full, the, the, the full transcript of what's taken place. But they, they might have lied or they might just told the truth. That the Hebrew women, when they get, you know, when, when it's time to go, man, they're popping like popcorn, man. They, before the midwives can get there, these babies are out. But here's the thing. Whatever they said and however that went with the king, God blesses them. So it must have been right. 
God blesses them. Verse 20, so God dealt with the midwives. And how did he deal with them? First, he blessed the whole nation through their decision. And the people multiplied and grew and very strong. And then secondly, he blessed them individually. And because of the midwives feared God, he gave them families. He gave them families. So God blesses their obedience and faith, and God will do the same to you. Throughout Scripture, we see how God blesses those who obey His commands. That's, that's part of what God does. Is he loves to bless His people and those that are walking after Him. Well, fire, this gets Pharaoh even more fired up, and he takes the insidious plan public. He makes it even worse. He says then that every son born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. He takes this plan public. And what we see in chapter 2 is we see again now a transition. Moses has been kind of giving us the 30,000 foot view. He's been kind of giving us the the wide uh, lens view. And now he kind of zeroes in and narrows our view to this one family to this one family in Exodus chapter 2. That leads us to our second point, this faith fueled by the faithfulness of God. Faith fueled by the faithfulness of God, Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Now for man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine or beautiful or special child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she took um, him for, uh, she took for him in, in basket, made a basket of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds in the river. And what we see here is we believe that, you know, that Moses has, has written the five books, uh, first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. So he's written the book of Exodus. And isn't it funny here, as Moses is writing, do you notice how in verse 2 how he described himself as a child? He says, that when she gave birth, he was a fine child. He was a beautiful child. He was a special child. Must be nice to be able to write your own, you know, your own uh, biography, right? But actually, this is, again, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Actually, that word fine or beautiful or special could actually be translated good. It's actually the same word that's used in the creation accounts where God creates and he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. So, so what you would do, a Jewish reader would connect that creation, the new creation with here. And what that is saying is it's alluding to that there's, there's something new going on here. There's a new hope. There's a new day that's dawning in the story of redemption with this child. And we also even see that Hebrews acknowledges this in Hebrews chapter 11, 23. It actually gives us a little bit more information. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after his birth because they saw that he was a beautiful child. So I guess Moses wasn't exaggerating, right? Because the author of Hebrews even, even says that he was a beautiful child. And they were unafraid of the king's edict. You see here, what we see is that there is a new hope. There is a new day. There's a turn in the story of redemption through Moses' birth, and it's been pointed out. But again, immediately after that, the, the, Moses highlights his mother and highlights his mother's faith that she hid him for three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she puts him in a basket. This basket, the, the, the word here for basket is the little word ark. And again, that takes us back to Genesis chapter 6 
where the ark in Genesis chapter 6, as we know, was, was the vehicle of salvation for Noah and his family. And again, it's the same thing here. She believes in the faithfulness of God that as he saved Noah and his family in this ark, that God would be faithful and save her child in this little mini ark. This is incredible faith from a mother. I mean, think about it. It it takes a lot of faith to hide a newborn to three months because they, they just don't comply, right? They cry, they scream, they yell whenever they want to, not when you think it's convenient. But the faith it takes to put a three-month-old baby in a little mini ark, in a little basket, and send it down the Nile River, that takes an incredible amount of faith. Let me just get a show of hands in here, moms. How many of you moms can do that? How, how many of you moms be like, oh yeah, that's something I would do. I'd just make a basket, put it in, and send it down the mountain. How many of you moms would do that? No, you know that would take an incredible amount of faith because that goes against every instinct you have as a mother. You're called to protect that child, to nurture that child, not to put it in a basket and send it down a river to its possible death. But Moses' mom, her name is Jochebed. We don't find out until Exodus chapter 6. She believes. Her faith is in the faithfulness of God. She knows what what the Lord did to Noah and his family that, she, that, that he is going to do to Moses. She has that feeling. But it's tough. We just, um, Reed and I and Maddie, we, we took our son uh, to drop him off at college, Stephen, and to South Carolina. Long stinking drive. Holy cow. But we made it. It was kind of like going through the Nile, right? Going through like St. Louis, the alligators and that kind of stuff and some other, other places, Kansas City, you know. Um, but we made it through. But when, my, when, when it was time to drop Stephen off, and even before that, I mean, Rita's, you know, it, it was like Niagara Falls, man, right? I mean, she was just weeping and crying and just every little thing would set her off. Why? Because it'd be unnatural for her to leave her son. And he's 18 years old, right? He's not three months to send down a river in a basket. This takes incredible, incredible faith unbelievable faith, but it's faith again, not in her ability, but she believes so strongly in the faithfulness of God that she sends her son. She believes again that the Lord would do the same for her son, just as he saved Noah and his family in the ark. Verse four of chapter two, we see that his sister stands at a distance. His sister is Miriam to see what will be done. To him to see what's going to happen to little Moses. And, and what she sees is, is Pharaoh and her and, and Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the, in the Nile River, which was common back then, with her young women beside her. And it just so happened that she saw the baskets among the reeves. And she sent her servant woman and she took it. And verse 6 says, when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. And, and notice she knew exactly who this was. This is one of the Hebrew kids. She knew the edict from her own dad that, that, that this kid should be remain in the Nile, that she shouldn't save this kid, but she does. And what we see here is God's providence working. Because listen, just as the basket was open, they saw the basket, they went, and as soon as they opened the basket, what happened? The little baby started to cry. And that's just God's providence. I love how one commenter said this. He said this about this. 
He says, at that moment, God brings two things together that he made. A baby's cry and a woman's heart. That's the providence of God working in there. As soon as, as, soon as they open up that, ba- that, little, that little ark, the baby Moses starts to cry and it melts the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. I want you to notice something. One, the, the one thing that ties all these women together, Shipra, Pua, Jochebed, Miriam, the Hebrew women that believe God, but then also these pagan Egyptian women. Two different worldviews, yet what binds all their hearts together? It's to preserve life. To preserve this little baby's life. Because that's what God does. That's common grace. He puts that on, on men, but also on every single woman who exists. The natural response when they see a baby alone is to preserve that life is to bring it in. We see God's wisdom still with Miriam. Now we see her faith. We've seen Shipra's faith. We've seen Pua's faith. We've seen um, Jacobed's faith. Now we see Miriam, his sister's faith. She just pops up. She sees Pharaoh's daughter grab the baby, and she just kind of pops up. And let me tell you, as a Hebrew woman, you just don't pop up on the Pharaoh's daughter when she's bathing, right? But Miriam doesn't care. By faith, she goes up and, she, and you see the wisdom of God. She fears the Lord and you see God giving her wisdom. So she says immediately, shall I go call a nurse from you from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child? And Pharaoh's daughter's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't you go do that? And who does she go get? She goes and gets her mom. Moses' mother to be the nurse. Isn't that beautiful? That's wisdom. That's wisdom that comes from above seeing the daily actions of life to someone who fears the Lord. Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. I'm going to pay you to to nurse your own, own child. How about that? So the woman took the child and nursed him. But here, look at this, verse 10. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Pharaoh's daughter's son. So here you see another just act of faith of Moses' mom where she gives away her son for a second time because she trusts God. And Pharaoh's daughter names her Moses because she said, I drew them out of the water. As hard as this story is, don't you love it? Doesn't it bring joy to your soul? Because we begin with Pharaoh trying to preserve his legacy through the satanic decree to annihilate and to kill all the baby boys that are born. And yet the heavenly king interferes and ordains and uses four Hebrew women and Pharaoh's own daughter to bring about the beginning of redemption with his people. To the point, to the very detail where Moses' mom, Jochebed, will still get to care for him as a baby and get the government to pay for it, Egypt to pay for it. That's incredible. I heard this story this week. There's a a woman, Christian woman, elderly lady, shared a condo next to an atheist. And uh, the Christian woman would pray, you know, kind of ministering, kind of praying out loud so that their, their, their windows were next to each other. And, and she would pray every night and pray out loud to the Lord. And the atheist would hear that. And he'd get annoyed, of course, because he's hearing the Christian woman pray, right? 
Well, she, she entered some rough waters, and she needed to be provided. She, she didn't have enough money to buy groceries. And so she prayed out loud, and she said, Father in heaven, I believe that you will provide anything and everything that I need, and I need groceries right now to make it through the week. I trust that you will provide in Jesus' name. Amen. And the atheist hears that, and he thinks, Aha! I'm going to show her. I'm going to prove to her that there is no God. And what does he do? He goes out and buys all these groceries. He goes out and buys all these groceries, and he brings them back, and he puts them, puts them on, the, on her porch and kind of knocks and, and runs away, kind of like ding-dong ditch, right? They used to play back in the day, right? Except for the groceries. And so he knocks on the door, and he kind of hides. And she opens up the door, and she just sees all these groceries. She said, man, thank you, Lord. You've provided. Man, thank you, Lord. Oh, I knew you would provide. And immediately the guy jumps out. He goes, ha-ha, I got you. The Lord didn't provide these things. I did. I bought you these groceries, to which she started rejoicing all the more. She started running up and down the street. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for, for providing. And the atheist dude is just sitting there going like, what, dude, what, what are you doing? I'm the one who bought you those groceries. The Lord didn't buy you. I bought them with my own money. And she said this. She said, I always knew that the Lord would provide the groceries. I just didn't think that he'd make the devil pay for them. And this is what we see in Exodus. Moses gets raised by his mom, and the devil pays the Egyptian government. Well, again, we began this message with Pharaoh, again, looking to wipe out the people of God so that he can preserve his earthly kingdom. And we end this section with a great reversal, a, a, a new hope, a new dawn in the story of redemption. This great reversal of this child that should have been destroyed is now being raised in the house of Pharaoh and will one day be the redeemer of the nation of Israel and lead them out of bondage. And again, this should just bring joy to your heart because we see God work out in an evil situation. He's taken these evil situations and he worked them out for their good and their joy and for his glory. There's a, in this dark time, the light of redemption is beginning to shine. Again, a new hope, a new dawn is being born. And he's doing it through the most unlikely of people. These four Hebrew women and Pharaoh's daughter. It's because of them, who, in particular those four women who feared the Lord. And that fear of the Lord, that respect, that awe, that moved in their heart, went from their head to their heart to move in action and to walk by faith and defy the most powerful man in the world. Again, I want to point out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that these stories of the Old Testament in general, but in particular with Moses and this, these situations, they were written as an example for us in our instruction on what not to do, but also what to do. And I want us to pause, and I really want to highlight and just bring this to bear, and hopefully you've seen it throughout the message, is that Moses, who's writing this, highlights the women. Outside of God, the women are the heroes of this story, right? And, and when we think about redemption, when we think about the beginning of redemption, we usually think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? And Joseph and Moses and David, right? And when we say, when we think of great women of the Bible, who do we usually begin with? Probably Rahab, right? We think of Rahab, we think of Deborah, and then we go on to, to Mary. But if it wasn't for these four Hebrew women, 
If it wasn't for Shipra, and it wasn't for Pua, and it wasn't for Jochebed and Miriam, there would be no redemption story. There would be no Moses. And so, ladies, I hope as you read this, that this encourages you. Because you still have just as much of an influence on the plan of redemption in the kingdom of God now, just as they did then. And notice this, that, that he uses all kinds of women. Shipra and Pua were single at that time before when they stood against the Lord. And, and they show us how to fear the Lord and how to walk by faith. If you, are, if you are a single woman here, sometimes in the church you can think like, oh, I'm single, I'm not married, I don't have kids, I'm not a mom, so I'm not like a second-tier citizen. Negative. You, you're just as important. You can disciple other women, even other men, to show what it looks like to fear the Lord, what it looks like to walk by faith. You can have that testimony among us. And then you do see, you see moms and you see sisters. And what Moses is going to do as he writes this, he's really going to highlight these women. In particular, he's really going to highlight his mom's role in his life and, and training him up. Moms, you have an incredible honor and privilege to raise up those little babies, these little babies that the Lord has given you. There is no greater job that you're going to have than to train your children to look to the Lord and to fear the heavenly King. And sisters, you, you have a big role in loving and serving and being, and, and being a wisdom and being, um, and being a feat of wisdom to your siblings. This is what Moses highlights. So ladies, take courage in that today. Men, take courage. Look to these ladies and see how they and learn by their example and implement them in your life. Because again, we live in a very unique time in our own history, right? In a time of chaos, in a time <coughs> where we would think that, man, evil is running rampant right now in the United States of America. And we need to look at these examples and, and how to respond. And so may we look to these women. May we look to their examples and let our faith be fueled by their faith. Let our example at home, in the workplace, in the classroom, in our circles of influence, may our faith be just as visible in word and deed as their faith was to us. The last thing I'll say is Shipra and Pua are the only two that are named in this story, right? Pharaohs, their whole, their whole kingdom was like, they wanted their name to echo throughout eternity, and Moses doesn't give us which Pharaoh this is. Doesn't name his names, but he highlights Shipra and Pua. They are examples that we need to follow so that we, as a people, as we walk through what we're walking through now in the year 2020, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Lord, it's a, it's a heavy text. It's a weighty text. It's a, it's a text that, that moves our emotions. It's a, it's a text that grips us. And it, and it takes on this emotional roller coaster. But ultimately, it ends with joy. It ends with us sitting at the edge of our seat. 
because we know, as Moses wrote, there's a, a new day dawning in the, in the plan and the story of redemption with Moses. And Lord, we again look back on this story through the lens of Christ and the gospel and the cross, and we have connected the dots to you, the serpent crusher who has saved us. And so, Lord, may we take what we know to be true and, and first and foremost worship you with all of our soul, whole heart, mind, and strength and, and thankfulness and joy, knowing that we have been saved, that we have an Exodus story, we have been delivered by sin. And now you use us as your ambassadors to go out and to be proclaimers of the greatest news on earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, let our faith be fueled as we walk out these doors from these women this morning, fueled by the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.